Chapter Seven of Star Hunter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leone Rose. Star Hunter by Andre Norton. Chapter Seven. It was some time before Hume found what he wanted, an islet in midstream, lacking any growth and rising to a rough pinnacle. The sides were seamed with crevices and caves, which promised protection for one's back in any desperate struggle. And they had discovered it none too soon, for the late afternoon shadows were lengthening. There had been no attack, just the trailing to herd the men to the northeast. And Rinch had lost the first tight pinch of panic, though he knew the folly of underestimating the unknown. They climbed with unspoken consent, going clear to the top, where they huddled together on a four-foot tableland. Hume unhooked his distance lenses, but it was toward the rises of the mountains that he aimed them, not along the back trail. Rinch wriggled about, studied the river and its banks. The beasts there were quiet blue-green lumps, standing down on the river bank or squatting in the grass. Nothing. Hume lowered the lenses, held them before his broad chest, as he still watched the peaks. "'What did you expect?' Rinch snapped. He was hungry, but not hungry enough to abandon the islet. Hume laughed shortly. "'I don't know. Only I'm sure they are heading us in that direction.' "'Look here,' Rinch rounded on him. "'You know this planet. You've been here before.' "'I was one of the survey team that approved it for the Guild.' "'Then you must have combed it pretty thoroughly. "'How is it that you didn't know about them?' he gestured to their pursuers. "'That is what I would like to ask a few assorted experts right about now,' Hume returned. "'The verifiers registered no intelligent native life here.' "'No native life,' Rinch chewed that over, came up with the obvious explanation. "'All right. So then maybe our blue-backed friends are imported.' Suppose someone's running a private business of his own here and wants to get rid of visitors. Hume looked thoughtful. No. He did not enlarge upon his negative. Sitting down, he pulled a cylinder container from a belt loop and shook out four tablets, handing two to Rinch, mouthing the others. Vitablox. Good for twenty-four hours' sustenance. The iron rations depended upon by all exploring services did not have the satisfying taste of real food. However, Rinch swallowed them dutifully before he descended with Hume to river level. The hunter splashed water from the stream into a depression in the rock and dropped a pinch of clarifying powder into it. With the dark, he announced, we might be able to get through their lines. You believe that? Hume laughed. No, but one doesn't overlook the factor of sheer luck. Also, I don't care to finish up at the place they may have chosen for us. He tilted his chin to study the sky. We'll take watches and rest in turn. No use trying anything until it is dark. Unless they start to move in. You take the first one. As Wrench nodded, Hume edged back into a crevice as a shelled creature withdrawing to natural protection, going to sleep as easily as if he could control that state by will. 
Wrench, watching him curiously for a second or two, before climbing up to a position from which he judged he could see all sides of their refuge, determined not to be surprised. The watchers were crouched down, waiting with that patience which had impressed him from his first sight of the camp sentries back in the forest. There was no movement, no sound. They were simply there, on guard, and Rinch did not believe that the darkness of night would bring any relaxation of that vigilance. He leaned back, feeling the grit of the rocky surface against his bare back and shoulders. Under his hand was the most efficient and formidable weapon known to the frontier worlds. From this post he could keep the enemy under surveillance and think. Hume had had him planted here in the first place, provided with the memory of Wrench Brody. The reward for him was to be a billion credits. Too much staff work had gone into his conditioning for just a small stake. So Wrench Brody was on Jumala, and Hume had come with witnesses to find him. Another part of his mind stood aloof now, applauding the clearness of his reasoning. Wrench Brody was to be discovered a castaway on Jumala. Only matters had not worked out according to Hume's plan. In the first place, he was certain he had not been intended to know that he was not Wrench Brody. For a fleeting second he wondered why that conditioning had not completely worked, then went back to the problem of his relationship with Hume. No, the out-hunter had expected a castaway who would be just what he ordered. Then this affair of the Watchers, creatures the guildmen had not found here a few months ago. Wrench felt a small, cold chill along his spine. Hume's game was one thing, something he could understand, but the silent beasts were another, and somehow far more disturbing threat. Wrench edged forward, watching the mist on the water, his brain striving to solve this other puzzle as neatly as he thought he had discovered the reason for his scrambled memories and his being on Jumala. The mist was an added danger, thick enough, and those watchers could move in under its curtain. A needler was efficient, yes, but it could wipe out only an enemy at which it was aimed. Blind cross-sweeping with its darts would only exhaust the clip without results, save by lucky chance. On the other hand, suppose they could turn that same gray haze to their own advantage. Use it to blanket their withdrawal? He was about to go to Hume with that suggestion, when he sighted the new move in their odd battle with the aliens. A wink of light. Two more. Blinking. Following the erratic course by the pull of the stream. All bobbing along toward the rugged coastline of the islet. Those had appeared out of nothingness, as suddenly as the globes, when this chase had begun. The globes and the winking lights on the water connected in his mind, argued new danger. Wrench took careful aim, fired a dart at one which had grounded on the pointed tip of the rocks where the river current came together, after its division about the island. For the first time Wrench realized those things below were moving against the current. They had come upstream as if propelled. He had fired and the light was still there, two more coming in behind it, so that now there was an irregular cluster of them, and there was activity on the water-washed rocks before them. 
just as the scavengers had moved ahead of the globes on land. So now aquatic creatures had come out of the river, were flopping higher on the islet, and those lights were changing color, from white to reddish-yellow. Rinch scrabbled with one hand in a rock crevice, found a stone he had noted earlier. He hurled that at the cluster of lights. There was a puff of brilliant red. One was gone. Something flopping on the rocks gave a mewling cry and somersaulted back into the water. Then a finger of mist drew between Rinch and the lights, which were now only faint, glowing patches. He swung down from his perch, shook Hume awake. The out-hunter made that instant return to full consciousness, which was another defense for the men who live long on the rim of wild worlds. What? Rinch pulled him forward. The mist had thickened, but there were more of those ominous lights at water level, spreading down both sides of the point, forming a wall. Dark forms moved out of the water ahead of them, flopping on the rocks, pressing higher, towards the ledge where the men stood. Those globes, I think they're moving in the river now. Rinch found another stone, took careful aim, and smashed a second one. The needler has no effect on them, he reported. Stones do, but I don't know why. They searched about them in the crevices for more ammunition, laying up a line of fist-sized rocks, while the lights gathered in, spreading farther and farther down the shores of the islet. Hume cried out suddenly, and aimed his ray-tube below. The lance of its blast cut the dark as might a bolt of lightning. With a shrill squeal, a blot shadow detached from the slope immediately below them. A vile, musky scent, now mingled with the stench of burning flesh, set them coughing. Water spider, Hume identified. If they are driving those out and up at... He fumbled at his equipment belt, and then tossed an object downward to disintegrate in a shower of fiery sparks. Wherever those sparks touched rock or ground, they flared up in tall, thin columns of fire, lighting up the nightmare on the rocks and up the ledges. Rinch fired the needler. Hume's ray-tube flashed and flashed again. Things squealed or grunted or died silently, while clawing to reach the upper ledges. He could not be sure of the nature of some of those things. One, armed and clawed as the scavengers, was nearly as large as a water-cat, and a furry, man-legged creature, with a double-jawed head, bore also a ring of phosphorescent eyes, set in a complete circle about its skull. They were alien life, routed out of the water. "'The lights! Smash the lights!' Hume ordered. Rinch understood. The lights had driven these attackers out of the river. Put out the lights, and the boiling broth of water-dwellers might conceivably return to their homes. He dropped the needler, took up stones, and set about the business of finishing off as many of the lights as he could. Hume fired into the crawling mass, pausing only once to send another of those flame-bombs crashing to illuminate the scene. The water-creatures bewildered, clumsy out of their element, were so far at his mercy. But their numbers, in spite of the piling dead, were still a dangerous threat. Rinch tore gapping holes in that line of lights, but he could see, through the mist, more floating sparks, gathering to take their places, 
perhaps herding before them more water-things to attack. Except for those few gaps he had wrought, the islet was now completely enveloped. Ah! Hume's voice arose in a roar of anger and defiance. He stabbed his ray down at a spot just below their ledge. A huge, segmented, taloned leg kicked, caught on the edge of the stone at the level of their feet, twisted aloft again, and was gone. Up, Hume ordered, to the top. Wrench caught up two hands full of stones, holding them to his chest with his left arm, as he made a last cast to see one light puff out in answer. Then they both scrambled on to that small platform at the top of the islet. By the aid of the burning flame torches the hunter had set, they could see that most of the rocky slopes below them now squirmed with a horrible mass of water life. Where Hume had fired his ray there was fierce activity, as the living feasted on the slain and quarreled over the bounty. But from other quarters the crawling advance pressed on. I have only one more flame flare, Hume stated. One more flare. Then they would be in the dark, with the mist hiding the forward-moving enemy. I wonder if they are watching out there, Wrench scowled into the dark. They, or what sent them, they know what they are doing. You mean they must have done this before? I think so. That LB back there, it made a good landing, and there are supplies missing from its lockers. Which you removed, Wrench countered. No, there might have been real castaways landed here. Not that we found any trace of them. Now I can guess why. But you guild men were here, and you didn't run into this. I know, Hume sounded baffled. Not a sign then. Wrench threw the last of his stones, heard it clink harmlessly against a rock. Hume balanced an object on the palm of his hand. Last flare. What's that, over there? Wrench had sighted the flashing out of the dark from the river bank, making a pattern of flickers which bore no relation to the infernal lights at the water's edge. Hume's ray tube pointed skyward as he answered with a series of short bursts. Take cover! The call came weirdly out over the water. The tone dehumanized. Hume cupped his mouth with one hand, shouted back. We're on top! No cover. Then flatten down. We're blasting. They flattened, lay almost in each other's arms, curled on that narrow space. Even through his closed eyelids, Wrench caught the flash of vivid, man-made lightning, crashing first on one side of the eyelid and then on the other, and sweeping every crawling horror out of life into odorous ash. The backlash of that blast must have caught the majority of the lights also, for when Wrench and Hume cautiously sat up, they saw only a handful of widely scattered and dulling globes below. They choked, coughed, rubbed watering eyes as the fumes from the scorched rocks wreathed up about their perch. Flitter with lifeline, above you. That voice had come out of what should have been empty air over their heads. A gangling line trailed across their bodies a line with a safety belt locked to it, and a second was uncoiling in a slow loop as they watched. In unison they grabbed for those means of escape, buckled the belts about them. Holloway, Hume called. The lines tightened, 
their bodies swung up clear of the blasted river island, as their unseen transport headed for the eastern shore. End of chapter 7